All right, we've been, we've been working through a study. We've been calling it Tiny House, the, the whole Tiny House movement sweeping the nation. This was a, a movement that swept the nation of Israel way back in the Old Testament, and we've been talking about that. It's fun. Uh, but God's Tiny House, you know, wasn't on wheels. You didn't pull it behind your SUV or your pickup truck. Yeah, they, they had to pick it up by hand and carry it around when they moved. But God's tiny house was the tabernacle, right? And, and it wasn't just, you know, a cool place that God had Israel put together. This is where God's presence actually dwelt, right? In the midst of the entire nation of Israel, God said, I want to dwell with you here on earth. And you'll be my people and we'll reach the world together. That was the goal, right? And so God's presence was in the midst of the nation of Israel. If any other nation wanted to know who God was and, and how he worked, they had to go through God's system that he had set up there. And we've been looking at the Old Testament pictures and all of the awesome details of that tabernacle and, and all of the components that go into it and, and some of the things that that pictures. I think we have a picture. Do we have a picture of the... There it is again. Okay, so there's our world-famous picture of the, the tabernacle. Uh, we spent some time going through each of the details as we approach it. The first thing you see is that the, the fence is bright white. Everything else in the, in the camp was drab and you know, animal skin colors, but this bright white cloth would draw your eye, just like Christ is to draw our eye and draw our attention to his righteousness. Right? And if you look on your sheet, we saw that the outer court was a representation of reconciliation. Right? It was a picture of reconciliation for us. And reconciliation is just a big fancy word that means that, that we've been brought back together with God. God created mankind in, in perfection. He created man sinless, but man sinned and, and, and strayed away from God. We, we were selfish. Each one of us has sin in our lives that, that needs to be dealt with. And God calls, when he takes care of that sin, he calls that being reconciled, bring, being brought into peace with God. So that outer wall pictures righteousness for us. There's one gate. That represents that there's one way in. That represents Jesus Christ because he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you want to get to the presence of God, you've got to go through the gate. There's only one gate. There's only one way in, and that's Jesus Christ. The first thing that we see in the opening of the gate is this brazen altar, this big brass or bronze altar. And that, that pictures for us propitiation, big fancy P word, that means Christ became our sacrifice for us, right? God says in his word that, that sin requires a sacrifice payment, right? And, and if we're going to pay for our own sins, the problem is we're sinners, we're not perfect sacrifices, we don't actually do any good on our own behalf, right? And, and so Christ became that sacrifice for us, because the first thing you've got to do if you're going to get to that presence of God, which is on the other end of this tabernacle, if you're going to get there, man, you've, you've got to deal with your sin first. You can't go into the presence of God and, and still be, you know, just a messy sinner, right? God requires perfection, and, and the only way that that's going to happen is, is that Christ took our sin on himself, the perfect Lamb of God, and he was a sacrifice. I think we have a picture of that. Okay, so we've got that, and we've got the, the brazen laver, which was the next piece of furniture that was in there, and, and in your notes it says this is for purification, right? And so your sins have been dealt with, but you kind of get messy walking around in this world, right? And so the priests would come and go in and out of this court, 
The, the floor was all dirt and dust, and they needed to wash their hands and their feet from the things that they were doing. And the picture is that, that we, you know, we have had our sins dealt with if, if we've come to Christ as our Savior. He's, he's washed our sins clean. But we walk around in this world, and we're influenced by this world, and the world is going to exalt itself against the knowledge of, of God, right? against the knowledge of the truth. And so we need to wash ourselves off. And the picture is that that's God's word. And when we come to God's word, it says, you know, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Right? So it's God's word. This thing is a picture of God's word that washes us clean time and time again. This, this thing was really cool. It, it was one of, one of the only instruments or one of the only pieces of furniture in the tabernacle that had no measurements. Right? Because God's forgiveness and God's ability to wash you clean day after day after you get messy, is, is limitless. Amen. Right? There's no measurement to that. There's no measurement to God's ability to, to, to wash us clean continually. Right? And so we live a life, you know, we desire to be purified. God desires us to be purified as well, and, and he promises that he's going to continually do that if we come to him. All right, so that brings us to the, the building, the small building that was in the middle of the, the structure, and this was the actual tabernacle. And, and in the first room of the tabernacle, so it, had, it had two rooms, uh, it was called the holy place. All right? And the, the other picture was reconciliation in the outer court. This picture has been all about a relationship. And we started the first half of the study last week. We're, we're talking about a relationship. And, and last week we saw that the tabernacle itself pictures Jesus. Most of these things picture Jesus in some way or other. But specifically the structure of the building points us right to Christ. So we know who we're having this relationship with, and then there's a candlestick inside that we saw last week, and that's, that's the power behind the relationship, and that picture's the Holy Spirit, right? And so picking up there, I know that's a lot of quick review. We've covered a lot of ground already. Picking up there, we're going to talk about relationships again. And one of the main components of any good relationship is communication, right? Good communication it's going to help any good relationship, right? The, the worse the communication, the, the rougher the, you know, the rougher the, the day, right? <laughs> in, in an important uh, relationship. So often, the closer the relationship I'm finding, the more communication is required, right? I, I find that out because I'm bad at communicating. That's just one of those things that God is always, always, always working on in, in my life. I am terrible at communication. And I find out when I've poorly communicated. And it, and it comes up over and over and over again. So the closer the relationship, the more communication that is necessary. So if you want a close relationship with God, what do you think we've got to do? We've got to have some communication going on between ourselves and the Lord. All right? And so last week we saw that on the left hand as you entered or as the priest entered into this holy place, he saw a candlestick. This was the only light source in the building. And th there's two other pieces of furniture that that shined or shone, however you say that, shone light on. Right? These were, uh, the, on the right hand was a table with bread on it, table, the table of showbread. It was a table that was made out of that same sheet of wood and it was covered completely in, in gold. So you can imagine, you know, these candles, the only light in the place, and the, the shimmering gold off the table, right? And then there was also an altar of incense. And so we're going to look at those two things. We're going to look at what they picture for us, and, and we're going to see how 
everything about them is about a relationship with Christ as well. So before we get into those details, let's go ahead and bow our heads for prayer and just ask the Lord to teach us uh, some incredible things. Lord, we are uh, thankful for your word. These pictures are awesome. Uh, There's so many cool things in here. There's so much more than I even understand. But I do just ask that uh, you, you would open our eyes to some, maybe some new truth for some of us. Maybe these are just really good reminders. Uh, maybe this is just something we need to hear because we're, we've gotten lazy in our communication skills. Uh, we've gotten lazy in our efforts to communicate with you and to spend time with you. And, and so I'd pray that you just challenge our hearts tonight. Pray that we would um, come away from here different in our approach to you. Lord, we want to get to the holiest of all. We want to get to the holiest place and we want to be in your presence. And, and there's some things that, that we need to, to learn and look at before we get there. And so I just pray that you would really work in our hearts tonight and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So on the right, there's this table, I think. Do we have a picture of the table? There it is. So there's two stacks of bread there. If you look at different artists' renditions, there's rows of bread on some, there's stacks of bread on others. There's six in one pile or one row and six in another. And so we'll look at the details of that. But point one, the the whole point of this is receiving provision from the Lord. This is the the table of showbread. (coughs) It's all about receiving provision or, you know, we'll see in a minute that it's God's communication to us. It's him providing for us. Matthew 6, 11 says, give us this day our daily bread. Right? God, Jesus was, was instructing the disciples how to pray. He says, you start off by worshiping the Lord, and then, then you get to, a little bit later, asking him for what you need. He, and one of the things he says is, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, would you provide for us? Psalm 78, 19, he says, yea, they spake against God. This is the Israelites murmuring in the wilderness, complaining. And it says, they said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Well, sure enough, he can, right? We see it right there. It's the table of showbread. Psalm 23, verse 5, David says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest mine head with oil. My cup runneth over. Right? God, David's saying, absolutely, the Lord can... He can provide for me in the wilderness. He can provide for me everywhere I go. He can provide for me in the midst of an attack from my enemies, right? God's going to provide for him. And so that's the cool picture that we see here. Um, And each one of these things, as we said, you know, it pictures Christ. So really quick, letter A, the picture of Christ there, we see in John chapter 6, verse 33 through 35, Christ is talking about himself, or he's speaking here. He says, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. All right, so obviously he's talking spiritually. They're talking physically. Well, it would be awesome if I never was hungry again. I'm kind of hungry right now, Lord, you know. And, and he's saying, no, this is, this is a spiritual truth that I'm talking to you about. And he goes on in, in verses 48 through 51. He says, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. You know, you want want bread that's only going to keep you alive for a little while. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. 
If any man eat of this bread, he shall, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Right? And he's talking about, look, I'm going to give my body as a sacrifice. I'm going to be that perfect sacrifice. I am the bread that's going to provide for you eternal life. Right? You're not going to be hungry again because you're going to have eternal life with the Lord. You're not going to long for that anymore. You'll have it. All right, so that brings us to the bread. What does it actually picture? It pictures, it pictures God's word for us. Well, I thought, the, I thought the laver pictured God's word for us. It absolutely does, right? It, there's all kinds of different things that picture the word for us. Water pictures the word, milk, bread, honey, strong meat, regular old meat, right? There's all kinds of things, and most of them are things that we consume. It's interesting, right? Most of those things are, are things that we eat or drink. And, and so it's, it's provision, it's nourishment, it's things that keep us alive, right? And that's why he used that example with those disciples. He said, look, this is, this is something that not only will keep you alive, it'll give you eternal life. This, this is something different. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 says, He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The word of God is going to give you eternal life. The bread of life is also the word of God. It's Jesus Christ. Right? Job had an awesome statement in Job 23, verse 12. He says, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips, talking about God. I have esteemed his words, or the words of his mouth, more than my necessary food. Amen. Right? Job had a perspective of God's word. Look, I'm going to put that first, and then I'm going to eat. That's going to sustain me. That's going to be enough for me. That's going to keep me alive. I need God's word more then I need my breakfast in the morning, right? And, and for any of, any of you who are, are like me at all, the only thing I can think about in, in the morning is coffee and toast or something. You're know, like, I need something because I can't think about anything else because my, my stomach's making noise, right? He says, this is, this is more important than my necessary food. The stuff that keeps me alive, I do this first. Mark chapter eight, verses 19 through 21. This is just after... Christ has, he's performed two different miracles. One time there were 5,000 people following him and they didn't have any food. And there was another time there was 4,000 people following him and they didn't have any food. And, and somebody donated some fishes and some loaves, some fish and some bread, right? And, and Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, when I break the five loaves among 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, 12. Well, that's how many Stacks of bread we have, right? Or, or total loaves of bread that we have on the, the table. And when the seven among 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, seven. And he said unto them, how is it that you do not understand, right? He's, he's calling them on their faith. He's calling them out on some things that they were questioning. God has called Israel to reach the world, right? The bread is provision. He wants to use the 12 tribes of Israel to provide his provision to the rest of the world, to distribute it. Right? That's the cool picture that we see when he's distributing bread and fish to these crowds. So what, what happens when you put fish, which is a picture of men, right? God, Christ came to the disciples and he said, follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. Men, or, or fish in the Bible, picture men. Bread in the Bible pictures the word of God. What happens when you put the word of God 
and people together. You multiply. That's what you do. Right? That's a cool picture. He says, you put those together, you get multiplied results. There were 12 baskets remaining, the 12 tribes of Israel. That was their mission in life, was to distribute God's provision to the world. They were to take God's word, God's instruction to the world and multiply it. The next time we see, there's seven baskets remaining. There were seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Guess who else's job it is to distribute God's provision to the world? It's ours. It's the church's job, right? That's what we're supposed to do. God does some really cool things with numbers in the Bible. He, he's very ordered. He's very detailed. He's very much on purpose. And sometimes it's so simple that we may dismiss it as, that's just coincidence. That's just, there's no way that, that God thought of that too, right? So why is it that God has two rows or two stacks of six? And he didn't just put them all in one big stack or just put them on a nice round plate. You see, back when I was a kid, Big Bird taught me when you put six next to six, it makes another number. What number is that? It's not a trick question. 66, right? And I may not be able to find my way to Sesame Street. But the last time I checked, my black bag 66, King Jimmy, had 66 books inside of one book. The bread of life, two stacks of six, a six and a six is 66. There's 66 books in what they were supposed to distribute to the world. Man, he's, he's got provision all over the place, but that might just be coincidence. That might just be too simple to be true. Maybe. I'll stick with Big Bird. He's, he's pretty smart. <laughs> Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. How is he going to supply anybody else's need that doesn't know Jesus Christ yet? He's going to do it through us. It's, it's our job, right? So here's some questions. Uh, a couple of months ago, Ryan did an awesome study for us about intentionality. Everybody remember that? Hopefully, you're, just raise your hand, make Ryan feel good. Yes. Ryan clearly remembers it. He's putting it into practice. It was an awesome study. It was, it was definitely very convicting. So I want to know, when you come to God's word, are you looking for provision? Or are you still out in the outer court just trying to wash off that, that mess you got on yourself? You're still stuck in that cycle we talked about last week. Do you come with the intention to hear communication from God? Do you come to his book expecting him to provide something for you? Direction, nourishment, provision. Do you come with that expectation? Because that's what he's assuming you're going to do. That's why he's putting the bread on the table. He wants to provide for you. He wants to give you nourishment. Do you come seeking that? Do you, do you find when you come seeking that, does it, does it sustain you? Excuse me. It's like eating a meal, right? Does, does it give you, does it convert what you intake into stores of energy? That's what food does, right? Does the word of God do that for you? Does it motivate you? Does it energize you to, to believe the things that he said are true? Does it give you the energy and the ability to say, wow, you know, this is, this is what he's called me to do. I'm going to go do it. He said it's true. Man, that's fueling me to go. Here's another question. Does it become a part of you? When you 
There's a saying, you are what you eat, right? He must have had handsome, handsome beast for breakfast. <laughs> like a neck growth. You are what you eat. Does it become a part of you? Do you become what you ate? Does it change you to be more like Christ? Relationships require communication. God has provided for us incredible communication. He's got it all laid out there. Everything that we need, everything that, that we need to be provided for us for health, for direction, for, for you know, the sustenance of our spiritual health and welfare, our emotional welfare. Beach also turned me on to these uh, survivor shows. Man, I've been, Jenny and I have been binge watching the survivor shows. And, you know, some of them are just some lonely dude, just all by himself, and he's surviving. We've moved past that. We just, we just started watching this other one where they, they've got, like, these chain of islands, and they drop somebody over here and somebody over there and somebody somewhere else, and they scatter their luggage all over the place, and, and their goal is to, to find each other and survive until rescue comes or whatever. And, and so, you know, two guys... Are found each other over here, and they're good buddies, and a third guy comes along, and he's kind of the third wheel. They don't like him, but, you know, they're kind of tolerating him. There's a guy and a lady that have found each other on another island, and, and they're buddy-buddy. They're, they're doing good. They're surviving. There's an old lady in another spot. She's just tougher than everybody else, surviving by herself, and uh, <clears throat> it's, just, it's just interesting. It's weird. So this third wheel guy, his name's Matt. It's a, it's a good name. The third wheel guy. So Matt, he knows he's not welcome. He says, I'm going to swim across, and it's, just, it's a big body of water. He swims quite a ways. There's a big current running through. He almost gets swept away. It's just big dramatic. It's good for TV. It makes you excited. So he swims across. I'm going to go find some new friends on that island. I see their fire every night. He goes over. They welcome him in. They're instant buddies. They're like, man, you know, Third wheel, heck, this, you know, third person's the charm. This is great. We love this guy. You know, you're going to stay here. Well, I promised those guys I would come back and report what I found. He goes back. They were like, man, that guy was just so cool. Can you imagine swimming across there? What a champ. They're like just all about this guy. He's just so cool. We love that guy. Can't wait till he comes back. He says he's going to come back. Two days come, go by, and they're like, I bet today's the day. Today's the day. He's going to come back. He's going to come back. This is going to be awesome. And he doesn't come back. And several more days go by, and, man, I hope, I hope he's okay. You know, he said he was going to come back. You know, that's, what, that's the last thing we heard. Some more days go by, and, and you know, man, I, I don't know if I believe anything that guy said to us. Right? What communication have they had that's any different than what the last thing he told them? Absolutely nothing. But there's been gaps in communication. So, man, we were really close to that guy for two days, right? Our best friend for two days. We had all this meaningful conversation in two days, and we haven't had any, and it ends up being like 14 days, and he comes back to shore. He finally makes it. He brought some stuff. The other guys kind of kicked him out because they were kind of jerks, but it's good TV. <laughs> and, and this, so he comes, he's pulling this stuff up. He brought them some stuff, and they're like, so what are you, what are you doing here? They, they greet him with this total attitude because clearly you know, you're, you're a liar, you're a jerk, you don't love us, you abandoned us. Like all of these weird, there was no communication, so what they were doing was filling in the gaps. This is probably what he meant. I bet none of those stories he told us were true. I bet those other guys, I bet he just came over here to, you know, 
to spy on us. It was just like, that's communication, isn't it? When there's no communication, there's only vain imagination, right? And you just fill in the gaps with whatever you think is true, whatever you think might actually be the case. And so they end up patching things up and they're best buddies again, the last episode we watched. But it took him a long time and a lot of effort and a lot of what? A lot of communication, right? He had to tell his story and explain. Man, communication takes, takes two parties. So, so that, that instance, that's, that specific example, there was nobody communicating with each other. They, they had flashlights. They were like, so he, he, he flashed twice. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. I, I flashed three times. Like, they're across this channel flashing lights. They don't know what it means. They're just, it was just funny. <laughs> with, with any relationship, if nobody's talking, is that a close relationship? Is that a meaningful relationship? If only one person is talking, does that, does that fix the problem? Not, a, not at all, right? And my wife is like, I hope he's listening to the words coming out of his mouth right now. <laughs> I'm trying, babe. It requires two to communicate. And if you think you have a meaningful relationship with the Lord, you think you have a close relationship with the Lord, somebody's going to ask you, man, do you know God? Do you know Jesus? Yeah, I do, man. We're really tight. Oh, yeah? Explain. How's that work? Well, you know, I read my Bible. What do you, what do you, what do you pray about when you pray? Oh, I, I just read. Like, if, if your answer was that I only read or I only pray, is, is that a close relationship? Can that even possibly be true? No, it can't be, right? So number two, the first point was that we're receiving provision from the Lord and we're reciprocating prayer to the Lord, right? We're returning that conversation back to him. He's providing us meaningful words, meaningful bread that we can take in, the words of life, right? And we ought to be, at the altar of incense, this is what this pictures, it pictures prayer. We ought to be returning prayer to the Lord in response to what he's given to us. Leviticus 16, 12 is actually not the passage that I want, but we'll read it anyway because it talks about some of the, the components here. He says, and he, he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord. This is talking about when he takes it behind the veil. The altar of incense is also using burning coals from, from the, the camp or the, uh, the, the sacrifice that's at the beginning of the tabernacle, as soon as you walk in. There was an instance where there was a couple of guys that used fire burning coals from some other fire somewhere else, and God killed them on the spot. So quit messing with my, don't, don't, and he calls it strange fire. You don't bring strange fire into here and offer prayers to me. You bring your prayers through what Jesus Christ offered for you on the altar, Right? That's the only thing that you bring in here. And so what they would do is they would bring those coals in and they would pour incense on top of them and that would create smoke, right? And that smoke would rise up and it says that that, that would create a sweet savor, a sweet smell for the Lord. We have access to pray to God in the first place because of what Jesus Christ did for us, right? It's connected to the altar. It's connected to that sacrifice. Romans 5.2 says, by whom also we have access by faith and to his grace, wherein we stand. Ephesians 3.12, in whom we have boldness and access 
with confidence by the faith of him. Faith in Jesus Christ, that sacrifice that he made for us, that gives us access. That gives us the ability to talk to him anytime we want. And he's listening. John 9, 31 says, We know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, he heareth him. What is God's will? That we submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Through Jesus Christ, he hears your prayers. 1 John 5, 14 Excuse me. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Our prayers are heard because they're connected to the sacrifice. They're connected to Jesus Christ and what he did for us. All right, and so if the, the bread, the table of showbread, pictures for us God's word, the altar of incense pictures our words. This is our words in return to God after he's given us his word. It's the prayers of the saints. It's our prayers back to God. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, it talks about, at the beginning of Luke, it's, it's talking about uh, the, the parents of John the Baptist. It says, For as much as many have taken in hand and set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. So this is Luke, the doctor, he's writing to Theophilus. He's telling a story about what happened. He said that thou mightest know the certainty of those things which thou hast been instructed. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, so this is a priest, and he's working in the temple, which was the, the permanent structure of the tabernacle. Later on, it says, of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth, Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot, his job, was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So while he's burning incense, check out what everybody else is doing. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. Long story short, too late, prayer pictures, incense pictures prayer. It's, it's, it's the connection there. Psalm 141, let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as evening sacrifice. Revelation 8, for the smoke of the incense which came up or came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So God expects through these pictures we see, look, God's going to communicate to us He's given us his word. He's provided for us communication, not only communication that tells us what to do, communication that sustains us, that gives us every single thing we need for all matters of life. What should our response be? Well, we should respond in prayer. Prayer is more than asking for stuff, right? And that's really awesome that you've provided sustenance, God. Can you give me more stuff? Can you, can you make me not feel bad? Can you take away this? Can you provide this? Right? Psalm 69, verse 30 says, I will praise 
the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Amen. I've never heard anyone magnify the Lord by complaining. Is that a saying? I will magnify thee with whining. <laughs> Don't you feel wonderful, Lord? You've provided for me and I have complaints. I'm just saying, he can handle your complaints. Psalm 100, verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Man, our response ought to be just to lift him up in praise, to bless his name. Hebrews 13, 15, by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. This was another thing that happened continually. They were continually taking the coals from the continuous offering at the entrance of the gate, and they were putting them in here, and they were putting incense on them. There was continual prayer, a picture of continual prayer and communication to God. God has provided you with continual communication from his word. It is always there. He is always ready to give you direction. He is always ready to sustain you. Anything that you need is in that book at all times. We ought to have an attitude of constant worship, right? So prayer isn't just about asking for more things. Prayer is our reaction to what God has first communicated to us. Prayer is supposed to be how we draw closer to the Lord after hearing what he has to say. Your closest relationships, when you have a conversation... Is the conversation about you? Are you concerned about you and making sure that person knows about what you need? Or are you concerned about their needs? What is your communication? Right? Close relationships, you care about one another. You care about what they think. They care about what you think. And you invest that, right? You talk that way. How's your prayer life with God? Do you talk to him about what's important to him? Do you just talk about what you need? Guilty. Prayer is concerning yourself with him, being interested in him more than wanting him to be interested in you. How many truly meaningful relationships will you have if everything's about you? God wants you to ask for stuff. He's fine with it. But he wants more than that. He wants a closer relationship than that. He wants to matter to you. He wants his cares and his heart and his desire and the lost world to matter to you because it matters to him. The holy place inside the tabernacle is a message all about our relationship with the Lord. You can't get inside of that place without washing your hands and washing your feet first, right? We've got to get rid of the sin and the mess and what this world has to say. We, got to be, we have to be in complete agreement with him. We've got to wash first. You can't get inside the first gate without dealing with your sin in the first place, right? You don't get into the presence of Almighty God, which we'll see in a couple weeks. You don't get there without walking in fellowship with Christ first. You don't get to enjoy, you don't get to see what, what's next. We haven't even gotten into where the ark is. We haven't gotten to the presence of Almighty God. You don't get there without walking with Christ. 
You don't get there by staying out in the outer court and just washing your hands and feet. Stif- sticking your feet in the sand and dabbling a little bit and struggling with this and never putting it to death. Never turning and focusing on Christ. Just, just getting by. That's where most Christians live. You realize that? Most Christians live in the outer court. They don't even get in and feel sustained by what God provides. They don't get in. They can't even see the bread because they're not clean and the light of the Holy Spirit isn't shining on anything, right? And what they're offering up to God in prayer is wants and desires. Again, God can handle that. He's all about providing for you and your wants and your desires. But he wants something more. He wants something totally different. The study of the tabernacle is a journey. We started on the outside. We ventured into the outer court. God desires that you spend time in his presence. We're going to see in two weeks. That's that's something that will change you. Anybody in scripture that spent time in God's presence did not come away the same. And you can certainly be changed by praying and reading your Bible, but, but have you have you ever experienced being in the presence of God to where your only reaction is humility? Romans 15.4 says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. I'm not sure what anybody else is getting from this study. I, but I'm seeing Romans 15.4 come to life. I'm seeing that the things that I'm learning are driving me toward patience and comfort and hope. Right? That verse is coming alive because of the cool pictures, because of the incredible truth that's just in the tabernacle story. Right? Just in the message of of what they were supposed to build, where God was going to reside, and how it applies to my life. I hope that you're seeing some of that too. And I hope that your relationship with God from tonight on is different. I hope that you can approach him and his word expecting him to provide. That's what he wants to do. Not what you want. He wants to sustain you. He wants to give you meaning and purpose and fulfillment. And he wants you to respond in a way that somebody just received sustenance and fulfillment from Almighty God would respond. In worship, magnifying his name. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we do, I I know we desire that that would be a true statement of our lives. I know that, I'm sure everybody in here wants to be able to say that that is true, that their relationship with you is, is close, it's meaningful, it's, it sustains us. But man, there are days. There are days where we struggle. There are days where things are just distracting and difficult and, and we lose sight of the most important things. And we lose perspective because our problems are really big. Lord, I pray that you help us to to see you because you're bigger. You're stronger and you can provide and you've promised to. And you're there waiting for us. 
Lord, I pray that this would help us in our relationship with you, that our relationships would be closer than ever, and uh, we'd be able to, to give all credit to you and magnify your name. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.